want to take a few minutes today and share, and I want to start with a story. I want to tell you guys about somebody by the name of Juan Carlos. So years ago, um, this was in, actually it was in 1999, uh, I was living in Mexico as a missionary, and there were some people who were there with us who were also um, missionaries, but they were learning the language. And so they went to one of the local language schools and tr to, uh, to learn Spanish, and the language school assigned them a tutor. His name was Juan Carlos. Now, Juan Carlos um, was a young guy. I think he was around 20, 19 or 20 years old. Um, by most definitions, was doing great. He was a young guy. He was already bilingual. He had his own car. He was uh, employed at a, at a great location. And um, he uh, began to tutor some of the other folks that were there um, with us. And, and he would hang out with us, and he'd, we'd invite him over to our house um, and hang out, and he got to be doing things with us. What none of us knew was that Juan Carlos had made a suicide pact. He had decided that on December 31st of that year, he was going to commit suicide. He did not believe that there was value in living. He had, even though his life appeared to be good, he didn't, he didn't want to continue. So he had already written out the letter. And this was like in the summer. So he had planned months in advance to die. We didn't know it at all. We had no clue. Um, but he told us after the fact, he told us about what he had done. And we were, we were hanging around with him, just living life. Um, we invited him to church. But more than that, we just lived life in front of him. And about October of that year, so after he had been around us for about three months, um, he accepted Jesus into his heart, became a Christian, and he said something that I will never forget. And he said, he said, Josh, if I had met you years before, if I had met someone like you, I would have been a Christian a long time ago. And thankfully, Juan Carlos did not follow through on his uh, decision originally to, to commit suicide. He became a Christian. He got saved. He turned his life around. And, uh, but it was an interesting comment. He said, if I had met someone like you. Now, this begs a question in my mind. What makes us different? How is it that we as Christians, what is it about us that appears different to the world? When the world meets us, when they spend time with us, what about us as Christians is different? John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. It says, by, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said that the number one thing that would differentiate us from the world is our love for each other. He said that is what's going to set us aside. But how many of you realize that if you just 
try to love as a chore, it isn't going to work. See, when somebody loves because they're forced to, because it's a duty, it doesn't, it doesn't shine. The world sees the difference. A lot of people, everybody is trying to be a decent human being. So how is it that our love, the love that Christians show for each other and for the world, how does that stand out? What makes it different? 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The key to the love that we as Christians have for each other is our love is a reaction to the love we have experienced. We should not be loving simply as a chore, but we're loving as a reaction to what we received. When we look at Matthew 18, I'm going to read this parable. And we've all heard this before, but I want you to think about it from the standpoint of the reaction. Matthew 18, 23 says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, that's a huge sum. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to rape, repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a denarii was approximately a day's wage. So figure one day's worth was a hundred days salary. That's an, a, a significant amount, but an attainable amount. The other amount was hundreds of times more. He grabbed that man who owed him the hundred denarii. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back what he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, it's interesting that when the other servants saw that he had been forgiven 
and refused to forgive, they immediately saw it as a crime. How many of you, as you were reading the story, felt that same thing? Oh my goodness, you were just forgiven a huge debt and now you won't forgive a mediocre debt? It's because we understand something that he should have responded with forgiveness to forgiveness. We respond to others based on what we have received. I heard a funny story about a lady in an airport one day. She, she went to the gift shop that was in the, the uh, concourse there, and she bought a bag of cookies. And she went back and she sat down at, uh, in one of the chairs waiting for her flight to start. And uh, a few minutes later, a man came and sat next to her. And she had the bag of cookies sitting next to her, and she grabs a, a cookie and notices that a moment later, he reaches in and grabs a cookie from her bag. She's just like, couldn't hardly believe what was just, did this really happen? And she's there, and she just kind of reaches in, grabs another cookie, and he looks at her and smiles, reaches in and grabs another cookie. And she just, she didn't know what to do of all the nerve. And so, you know, she starts eating a little bit faster so that she gets the cookies that she bought, and he reaches in on occasion and just grabs a cookie. And she was so taken aback, she didn't even know how to respond. So, when it got to the last cookie, he's like, do you want it? She's like, yeah! Grabs that cookie, and it was time for her flight. She goes in, she goes into the, air, the plane, she sits down, she gets in her seat, she opens her bag, and there was her bag of cookies. It was... <laughs> Right. We all had that moment. It's like, wait a minute. Her behavior should have been totally different. Why? Because she, now, we now recognize she was being treated with kindness. And she needed to have responded in kindness. And we suddenly realized the crime of the moment. She didn't respond. She was being treated with such kindness and didn't realize it. And she felt bad. She had no way. She couldn't get off the airplane to go find that guy and apologize for taking so many of his cookies and for looking at him so egregiously. But the Bible tells us that our love is a response to his love. Romans 2, verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. We repent. We are sorry. Why? Because we see how God has treated us. Our love of God is a response to his love. Our repentance is a response to his grace. We respond. And here's the thing. Responding goes both ways. When we're loved, we respond with genuine love. When we're forgiven, we respond with genuine forgiveness. But have you ever noticed when someone has been hurt, how do they usually respond? With hurt. We've, we've heard the saying, hurting people hurt people. 
And as, as we look around in the world, when we see someone who is treating us wrong, what do we need to do? We need to understand they are responding to something. It may not even be you they're responding to. In fact, oftentimes it isn't. Oftentimes they're treating you poorly, not because of you, but because of how someone else has treated them. So I want to take a few minutes and I want to go over different steps we can take to purposely and intentionally change the way we respond to the world, the way that we impact others. Because how many of you want people in your lives to see God's love and say, hey, I want what they have? Many of us, we don't realize it. You know, I am convinced, I was blessed that Juan Carlos articulated to me what had happened. But do you realize many of us don't ever get the privilege of that? There are possibly even more interesting and impressive stories that have happened in your life, but you just don't know because they didn't tell you. I didn't tell that story to pat myself on the back. I told that story because I want all of us to be inspired about the opportunities that we have. So here, step number one. We find in Matthew 12, 34 through 35, it says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Step number one is to meditate on God's word. You see, we, my mom used to use the example that, that we're a sponge. And she would say, whatever is in you, when you're in a situation, when you're pressed against the wall, whatever's already in you is what's going to ooze out. If we have not filled ourselves with God's word, we can't expect love, kindness, forgiveness, the, the fruits of the Spirit to come out. So, Fill yourself. Psalms 119.11 says, How can a young man keep his ways pure? It's a good question, isn't it? How can we keep our ways pure? It says, By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. How did the young man keep his way pure? He put God's word in his heart to begin with. If we meditate on God's word, if we purposely fill ourselves with the knowledge of his character, that is what will make our decisions godly. That's what will make our actions Christ-like. Have, have any of you ever been around someone who spoke with an accent and after a little bit you start realizing that you're kind of copying them? Or you... Have you, ever, have you ever seen someone who, if they walk with a limp after a minute, you're, you're kind of near them and you're kinda, you realize you're doing the same thing? We, we have a tendency to copy mannerisms, accents, how much more godliness and good speech. If we're filling ourselves with 
ungodly speech, crass humor, what will come out? Number two, Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise the name of God with song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. How, how do I magnify God? Now think about this for a second. To magnify means to enlarge. How do you enlarge God who is already omnipresent? Omnipresent means he's everywhere. You can't make God any bigger. But you can make your perception of him bigger. Realize God doesn't get bigger, but our realization of him can grow. When I am thankful, my understanding of God grows. This means being intentional and finding the good and being grateful for it. When we look back and see what God has done in our lives and we are thankful for it, God didn't get any bigger, but our remembrance, our understanding, our realization of God's impact on our life, that's what grows. He becomes bigger in our eyes, even though he didn't change. Our perception of him changes and our faith in him grows. We need to be intentional. A lot of us are like, oh, yeah, I'd love to be thankful. Hopefully it happens. That'd be nice. It doesn't happen by accident. It, when, it, when it comes to, to forgiveness, when it comes to love, when it comes to thankfulness, we have this idea, well, I sure would love that. that that'd be nice. Somebody lay hands on me and make me thankful. No, we're going to choose to be thankful, choose to focus on those things. When, when I'm in a situation, hey, how many of you are married? Yeah. How many of you realize marriage isn't perfect? When my wife does something that upsets me or hurts me, I intentionally find something positive and choose to focus on that. And I have, I have come to her after situations and said something, and she looks at me like, really? Like, why are you bringing that up right now? Why? Because I am purposely finding the thing that I want to be thankful for. I am choosing. This is how I want to view my wife. When we choose to be thankful... 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Be joyful always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. It's not like, oh, well, I just had an accident in my car. Thank you, Jesus, for crashing the car. No. But we're thankful in the circumstance. You know what? Thank you, Jesus, that we didn't get hurt. Thank you, Jesus, that they, you know, the other people weren't hurt. Thank you for, we, we find intentionally that which we can be thankful and grateful for. Next, how do I become the type of person who exudes the light of Jesus? 
we remember what he's done in our lives. Matthew 18, 23 says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Men tell of your wonderful deeds. Remembering what he's done. <laughs> remember hearing a story about a little kid who was flying a kite. And he's out there in the wind and he's flying the kite and the kite gets caught in a tree way up high and he is doing everything he can do to get it out and he can't and he runs this way and that way and he, he tries to climb the tree but the branches are too high and so finally he says okay well he gets down on one knee and he says God please help get this kite down and a gust of wind comes knocks the kite right out of the tree he says never mind God it fell out so many of us are like that. When God is at work in our lives, we don't even consider it to be God. When we look back and we acknowledge what he has done. If, if we look back at the parable on the serp, of the unforgiving servant, we see that he did not give, it seems as he didn't give a second thought to what God had done for him. He just reacted to the situation without considering the past. When you know what God has done, this makes you more confident in the face of difficulty. It makes you more calm in adversity. It makes you less fearful of potential change or danger. When you realize what God has done in the past, you can face situations and everyone around you is going to be like, how can you be so calm? And your response? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I know that whatever happens, he'll be with me in it and through it and beyond it. Next, Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. We need to be intentional about our witness. Consider your testimony. It is so interesting to me sometimes. So... <clears throat> I grew up uh, in, in a pastor family. So my dad was a pastor. Uh, and our church, um, when we moved from the mission field, was about the same size as we are now in 1983. Today, it's a lot bigger. But I grew up understanding that there are people watching. That was just the norm. I constantly bump into people who don't know. Oh, I don't know who they are, but they know who I am. This happened to me all the time. It was just pretty much normal for me. But it surprises me how many Christians don't 
realize how on display you actually are. We think of ourselves as, well, today I'm going to be intentional. Today I'm going to go out and evangelize. Today I'm going to purposely put on my Christian t-shirt, and then I'm going to go out, and today how I act matters. But yesterday and tomorrow, probably not. See, that's not true. We don't realize how often our witness is noticed. And most people don't say anything. They don't say anything. I, I like to use the term invisible progress. I remember uh, one time uh, in, in Bible school, I was hanging out with a group of friends and we were, we were talking and I don't remember what person was brought up. But one of the group there began to discuss how frustrated they were by so-and-so. And so-and-so was a sincerely frustrating individual. And so I was sitting there, you know, just listening to the conversation. And I remember I, like, chimed in in agreement about how frustrating that person was. And my friend, who had just got done, you know, on their soapbox about how frustrating he was, looked at me and said, you know, I think that's the first time I've heard you insult somebody. I had no idea that my intentionality had ever been noticed. I had done the right thing for a long time and nobody told me. When I did the wrong thing, then they told me I noticed that you did the right thing. Do you, you follow? It's like you do the right thing and nobody says anything. And then you do the wrong thing and then you're like, oh, I didn't realize that anybody had noticed that I had intentionally not been speaking ill of anybody until I went and blew it. And then they're like, oh, so you do it too. I'm like, oh. But I learned a valuable lesson that day about how when I am living a Christian testimony and people notice, they won't usually say anything. They'll just quietly notice and we're making invisible progress without realizing it. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This makes us purposeful. This makes us patient. See, you and I have God's love in our heart. In the legal world, if you are caught with illegal drugs on your person, you can be charged two different ways. You can be charged for possession or possession with intent to distribute. Here's my question. You all have the love of God in your hearts. Are you guilty of intention to distribute? Are you guilty of intention to distribute? Or do you just kind of, well, this is just for me. It's just for me. I mean, you know, I, 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 like, I, I like, you know, reading the Bible. I like going to church because it makes me feel better. And then I just go home. Or are you intentional about shedding 
the, the light of Jesus Christ around the places that you live and where you go and where you work and where you study. God has given each of us his love, his forgiveness. And if we take it for granted, if we just let it slide into the back of our minds and our hearts, we will cease to react to it. But when we are intentional, when we focus, when we meditate on God's word, when we consider, wow, I have been forgiven. Wow, I am loved in spite of my mistakes. Then it inspires us to react. And when we react, that is a genuine love. You know, the story of that lady who was uh, using, you know, sharing her cookies. She was doing the right thing. She was sharing. But not really. Now imagine if she could go back and relive that whole situation, realizing, aware of the kindness that was being given to her or, or displayed to her. When we understand what we have received, that's when we can genuinely give. What is going to be said of us? How do we want our legacy to be summarized? In Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. What do I want said about me when it's all said and done. David, it said, when he had served his generation. You know, every day we are actively living our legacy. And as I said before, oftentimes we don't see other pe people don't say to us each day, you know, I was really impressed that you didn't say anything negative about someone today. I was really impressed with the way that you treated that person with kindness and that person with forgiveness. You know, and I was really impressed with the way that you faced uh, adversity at work and, and when they announced that there were going to be layoffs, you didn't freak out. You just confidently moved forward. When they laid you off, you didn't get angry with the person who, who had to tell you, but you just responded in kindness and went along. They don't say that, but they see that. What is the legacy that we are leaving? I want that legacy to be lives changed. Now, I told you the story about Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos uh, was the language teacher who had planned his suicide met our group of young Christians and canceled his suicide. I want to tell you the rest of the story. That was 1999. Juan Carlos joined our church. We had a uh, discipleship program that, that I was uh, running. He joined that discipleship program. 
went through the, the discipleship program, got involved at the church. Then he married the pastor's daughter. And today has a family. Micah, can you show us this picture? This is Juan Carlos, his wife, the pastor's daughter, and their two kids. They live in Atlanta, Georgia. They work at a church. And how many of us have opportunities to make a difference in someone's life just by being salt and light? Just by being different. To me, I get, I get encouraged when I see lives changed, when I see people living just a little bit different, living intentionally reacting to what God has done to, in, in them, not what others have done. When I live reacting to God's treatment of me, not reacting to other people's treatment of me, that is the difference. The world react to each other. We should react to God. And when that becomes our focus, the world will see the difference. Do you guys agree? Matthew 7, 12 says, So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It's that simple. We treat others as we would want to be treated, not as they have treated us. Not as they have treated us, not as... as uh, <laughs> as we think they would treat us. Don't do unto others as they would do unto you. No. We treat others based on how God treated us. Because in reality, we are all like that servant who was forgiven a debt that they could never pay. The Bible says that each and every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are capable of being good enough to inherit eternal life. All of us needed forgiveness, and God gave us that forgiveness. If you're here today and you know that you have been forgiven and made right with God, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Fantastic. If you don't know that you're forgiven, the Bible tells us, know that you have salvation. To some of you, that may be a surprise. You may be saying, no, I thought I would find out someday when I died. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says, no. How can we know? Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be, but you will be. You can know that you're forgiven that your sin is forgiven, that that debt that you had that couldn't be paid has been paid by Jesus Christ. If that's you and you want to be forgiven, I want to give you an opportunity to say that prayer and to be forgiven today. With your 
eyes closed, heads down. I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed. If you're at home, this includes you. If you would like to pray that prayer and be forgiven today, I want to ask you to raise your hand and we will pray it together. If you're watching online and you want to pray, I want to encourage you to just repeat after us. We're going to all pray together. Dear God, I believe that you love me. I believe that my sin separated me from you, but that you sent Jesus to pay for that sin. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. I make you the Lord of my life. I ask you to forgive me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.